Dear Heavenly Father, you are sovereign over everything and over everyone's heart. You are magnificent beyond our imaginations. Your love towards us is never-ending. Your goodness is chasing us down. Who are we, Lord, to ever question you or doubt you? Forgive us of our foolishness. Forgive us of our unbelief. Forgive us for trusting in our own strength rather than yours. May we submit ourselves today completely to the power of the Holy Spirit, who is well able to teach us according to each individual need, and grant me wisdom to rightly break this bread of life. I humbly ask that you speak to each wonderful sister gathered here and satisfy our hunger. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, I have a wonderful slideshow for you. Hopefully, it's pretty. <laughs> so, um, so we'll... Let's see. I should have practiced. I can't get this to work. Move. Can you do it for me? Okay, thanks. Okay, so that's on the agenda today. So we'll divide this again into three sections. I like to kind of like, you know, if you've listened to me previously, I'd like to kind of like, you know, take little chunks and break it down so that it's easier for us to understand. So the first one is stress. And the second section we are going to deal with is serenity. And the third section is submission. So if you have your Bibles with you, could you please open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we'll read from verses 1 through 5. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain." So you can imagine Paul under a lot of stress, wondering how the Thessalonians were faring after hearing the truth. And previously, the last couple of chapters, we heard from Kim Spihar and Claudia how uh, Paul was literally chased out of Thessalonica uh, because the Jews there, they they didn't want Paul and Silas teaching the gospel there. So they had very little time with these Thessalonians, so they were unable to uh, find out whether they, were, they, were, they did they actually do a good job on, in giving them the gospel. So Paul was really stressed out about this, so, and he didn't have time with them for, for a long time, and he barely shared the gospel. So he was stressing that maybe the seed that he has sown maybe did not take root. So now it is time for all what-ifs. Right? What if no one believed? What if our effort was futile? What if we went to a different place you know, instead of Thessalonica? What if the persecution against Christians would deter them not to follow Christ? What if it wasn't the Lord's will in the first place right, to preach the gospel in that place? I mean, can you imagine we go through that almost every single day, right? I mean, over little things. Oh, what if I should have put that spice in that dish, right? <laughs> Instead of this, maybe that would have tasted better. Or maybe I should have added something else. I mean, those little things we do stress about. 
But imagine Paul pacing in his room with all these doubts. However, his heart longed to be with them. He must have prayed and led by the Holy Spirit. He said, okay, you know, let me send Timothy to to them. So a mission that would also help Timothy in his walk. So Paul sent Timothy to finish the job that he started, said, you know, go encourage them, strengthen them, and make sure that they hear the right gospel and that they're not getting, you know, something else. So Paul must have really labored in his heart, and he must have really shed tears uh, in the presence of the Lord. He must have prayed for them, right? So Paul knew that those who believed in Jesus Christ, because he he himself had experienced how he was persecuted, so he knew that if these people had really accepted Christ, they would be persecuted just like him. So Paul was quite familiar with that type of suffering one must endure for the gospel. So Acts 9, uh, 16. Yep. Uh, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul, he, however, didn't want these new Christians to suffer for the sake of the gospel. I mean, can you imagine, like, you know, our children suffering? We cannot do that, right? We cannot bear that. So just, just the same way, Paul here is tr- stressing that his dear children, these new believers, would not suffer for the sake of the gospel. So he wanted to encourage them to hold on to their faith, even in suffering. Acts 14.22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. We have no choice, right, as believers. We do not know what type of trials we have, we will face. But as believers, we will go through persecution. Christ himself said so. He was afraid that those people would give up their faith in the face of persecution. He knew from the reports that he was hearing that these people uh, were also were being persecuted and imprisoned. However, he didn't have a solid report that despite the persecution, the church there was thriving. So in order for them to hold on to their faith, they would need encouragement, right? So probably Timothy snuck in discreetly, you know, under the shadows, the night, and probably snuck into the town to see what's happening. So this shows, you know, uh, his nurturing heart, which it really shows so strongly in these verses. And last time Kim Spihar said how tender and nurturing uh, Paul was, like a mother, even towards these new believers, and such an encourager, uh, like a father. So his desire for them was to thrive in faith, even in persecution. So First Thessalonians 2.14 says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. So Paul was growing impatient to know the facts on the ground because he was afraid that the devil would discourage them to follow Christ. So he has seen numerous times, right, how the churches he helped to start have failed because they were distracted by the culture. They were distracted uh, by uh, what was uh, prevalent in the society there, right? And they were, some, some of the time, they were going back to skin, uh, sin. Galatians, which was written previously uh, in Galatians 1.6, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Paul was frustrated about Galatians. And if you read Galatians, you feel like, you know, he's coming with a whip, you know, because like I taught you the gospel, it's the truth, and how come you are like going away from this, right? So in Galatians 3, 1, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
before whose eyes Jesus Christ was public, publicly portrayed as crucified. So he knew because of that experience, he's like, oh my God, what's happening? Why again, probably this is happening again here, right? So all Paul wanted was that the church would continue to grow and that more numbers would be added to the kingdom for which he was willing to undergo persecution. His desire was that more people would come into the saving grace of Christ. All he wanted was that their efforts, all the uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and others who were with them, their efforts, the, su- the suffering that they went through, the persecution that they went through, their desire for this young church, that you know, all that effort wouldn't go down the drain. Philippians 2.19, But I trust in the Lord... Jesus to send, to send Timothy to you shortly, but I also may be encouraged when I know your state. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 to 2. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Philippians 2.16 says, Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Right? So you see how much stress Paul was in. Imagine yourself in his shoes, right? If you are uh, a church planter, if you are a preacher, if you are an evangelist, you sow the seed and you are expecting some kind of fruit, right? And it's not coming. It's not showing up. But that's the stress factor. Imagine your own families, your own kids, right? This is so hard, if you, especially as parents. If you see that, you know, you've done everything right. You have, you know, put, uh, taught your children the word of God. You've taught them how to pray. You've taught them how to read the Bible. You've taught them how to trust in the Lord. And yet they are not doing it. Of course it is stressful. Right. So now let's jump into our section two, serenity, uh, verses six through ten. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Surprise, surprise. So all of Paul's fears were for nothing, right? On the contrary, the Thessalonian church was thriving beyond their dreams. So Timothy came back with exhilarating news that they were not holding not only holding strong to their faith in Christ, but also were longing to see Paul, just as he was longing to see them. So the Thessalonian church was actually caught up in faith, a faith-filled life, and they were thriving. So that, was, that must have been such an exciting news. Imagine him in his shoes, right? So First Thessalonians 1.3, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So imagine Timothy running back to Athens where Paul was to share this extremely great news. How impatient he would have been. Imagine Paul leaping in joy at this news. Imagine the tears of joy Paul 
Timothy, Silas, and others must have shared hearing about the Thessalonians. And imagine the prayers of thanksgiving that must have gone up towards heaven for the testimony of these people. So truly the efforts of Paul and the others paid off. They were greatly comforted and breathed a sigh of relief. With what little they had, they stood firmly. So we had, I mean, you must have been familiar with a lot of stories that we hear about, you know, uh, the persecution that's going on in China and in so many other places where people, they don't have access to the Bibles. They literally gently tear the pages in their secret you know, churches and they distribute those sheets to others so that they can go through, study them, memorize them. Once they're done, they would secretly give it to others. That's how they circulate one Bible through the whole church. So imagine how blessed we are. And that way we have choices, right? Sorry. So First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Second Timothy 1, 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul, after hearing the good news about the Thessalonians, was now eager to see, to see them face to face. I'm sure everyone here can attest to the fact that our joy knows no bounds when we see the seed that we have sown has bore forth fruit. So as long as we are diligent in obeying our call, we will witness God, uh, we will witness God bringing the fruit, not us. He will do it. And just like Pastor Jim often says, plant, water, fertilize. So we just have to be about that. Let God worry about how the fruit's going to come out, right? So 1 Thessalonians 2.17, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. 2 Corinthians 13.9, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong, and this also we pray that you may be made complete. As the followers of Jesus Christ, we are on a mission, sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth. We, let's not worry about the rewards. We will see the rewards when we get to heaven. So finally, the last section, uh, submission. So uh, verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love uh, to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So having just witnessed the greatness of God, Paul now submits to the Lord once again. He must have slapped himself for ever doubting the power of, God, of the gospel. The Lord has proven again that he will finish what he starts however impossible the situation may be, however uh, tough the persecution may be, but he had underestimated God, right? All he needs are willing hands and feet, willing men and women, boys and girls who will go to the ends of the earth, even in the face of persecution, to share the good news of the gospel. All our Lord de desires are surrendered hearts. Galatians 1.4 who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. First Thessalonians 5.23 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your Holy Spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians 3, 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and in, into the patience of Christ. It is the Lord's will to carry us through storms, to rescue us from the evil one, and that our spirit, soul, and body would be preserved blameless until he returns. Then we can stand boldly before him on that great day. Philippians 1.9 And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So isn't it fascinating to see Paul's desire for them, right? And it's not a letter of admonition, for, for, for the, but it was a letter of praise and thanksgiving because he had witnessed what, literally in front of his eyes what God can do with just a tiny seed. And what he underestimated, God had blown it out of proportion. So for him, that was an eye-opener. And he, I think from then on, he never doubted again, I, I hope. Um, so God always finishes what he starts. So we have that kind of, we should have that faith in him because what he starts. Because first of all, imagine when you are planting a seed in the ground, right? And I'm an amateur gardener and I, every, every seed that I put in the ground, I expect that to sprout. But 90%, I mean, at least 60% of the time they don't sprout. And I'm like, ah, you know, hopefully I'll get there one day when at least 80% of them will sprout. But, I mean, you do everything. I mean, when the other 60% sprouted, why didn't this one did, right? That's the question we ask ourselves so many times in life. All this hard work I'm putting in, all this effort that I'm doing, and all this, uh, you know, guidance that I'm giving my child, still why is he or she not following the Lord? Where did I go wrong? Right? We, we ask all these questions, but what God started, he will finish it. Maybe we may not see the fruit right now, but in the long run, God will bring it to fruition. Uh, Matthew twenty five thirty one. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Mark eight thirty eight. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Second Thessalonians 1, 6-7 Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Paul pronounced a beautiful blessing on this church. If you read those last verses in uh, First Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, that the Lord will prosper them, right? Prosper them not financially or, you know, all those stuff, but in their hearts, in their walk with the Lord. And that blessing is so beautiful to hear. So he pronounces that blessing that the Lord will prosper them, abounding in love and establish them blameless. I mean, isn't that a desire of ours too, that we would be blameless before the Lord, that our children are blameless before the Lord on that day? So I think that's a beautiful blessing that Paul gives to this church, that they would stand before God in holiness when Christ returns to rule and reign. So in closing, I would like to share 
a testimony uh, of a woman named Mercy. So uh, this is kind of to tie in with the, uh, with the lesson today, but at the same time, what is our application towards this? So here it goes. Mercy was born a child prodigy to two teachers in a small town. She was the firstborn, and she had two brothers and two sisters. Her parents taught her the importance of faith and a decent education. Her uncle, a traveling missionary and a musician, opened her heart to music and living out her faith. So her uncle used to travel from town to town, village to village, uh, preaching the gospel, narrating the stories uh, and the parables from the Bible in a song form while playing violin. So Mercy really admired her, her uncle, and she looked up to him all the time. But she also loved her parents. Since Mercy was a brilliant student and way ahead of other students, her parents realized that she needed a better school. So they moved her into a boarding school in a nearby city where she did exceptionally well. She even took up tutoring young students in her boarding house. She was earning some pocket money, and which she promptly sent it back to her family. You know, she thought, what will I need for her? And so she would send it to her family. Soon, tragedy struck. Mercy's father suddenly died, and she was only 13, 14 years old when her father died. So her mother single-handedly raised her and her four siblings. Mercy took up the responsibility of her sister's education, as, uh, of, their, of her siblings' education. So while still at school, she took up teaching elementary school kids. With the money she earned, she was able to support her mother and her siblings. Soon another tragedy struck. Her uncle died. So by the time she was 18, she finished college. She started working as a teacher full-time. She wanted to get a degree in education. So while she was pursuing her degree, she got married to George, a handsome young farmer in her town. George, even though he was not as educated as Mercy was, he was struggling to uh, find time to get an education and uh, also take care of the farm, the family farm. So Mercy, on the other hand, she was encouraging him to finish at least high school. So, uh, and Mercy, and basically she moved into her uh, husband's home where all the rest of the family was George's parents or his siblings. So they were living in a combined house. So, and soon, you know, they had a beautiful daughter. And tragedy struck once again when George suddenly died. And Mercy was just 22 years old. And their daughter was just 18 months old. Unable to stay with her in-laws due to some family pressure, Mercy and her daughter moved out. Her good friend, who recently started an all-girls school, invited Mercy to be their math and English teacher. So she even offered her housing on the school premises. Mercy knew that was the Lord's direction and that God was guiding her steps. So Mercy poured all her energy into teaching at the school and raising her daughter while still supporting her mother and her siblings. Right? So through all these tragedies, one thing remained constant in Mercy's life, her faith in Christ. Initially, she was angry at God for taking away all the people she dearly loved for some time, but she couldn't be angry for too long because in little ways, God was bringing people in or doing things for her that proved to her quite clearly that 
he was still in control. So God, he was the only constant in her life. While enjoying her teaching career, she also supported her siblings in their higher education, in their careers, and even helped them get married. However, God tested her faith yet again. One of her brothers came home from the war with severe PTSD. The doctor said that he should be in a mental asylum and uh, because he could harm himself or he could harm people around him. But Mercy said, no, that's my brother, and he's my responsibility, and I'm going to take care of him. And she took him in. Despite the challenges, she pers- persisted, and she, with prayer, with a lot of encouragement, she took care of him for almost three decades until he died. So career-wise, Mercy was growing and climbing up the ladder. She was recognized for her dedication and hard work. She became a district school superintendent, and her love of teaching and her love for kids was the driving force. Upon retirement, she started a home for students whose families couldn't afford education. She built a home for these students. She housed them, provided them food, clothing, and also paid their fees. Most importantly, she taught them the gospel through daily devotions. She didn't never let them go without the prayer. Every day before they went off to school, she would call them all, huddle them around, and she would pray for them. And she, was, she ensured that they were all fed before they went off to school. And all her life, she was a blessing to others. When anyone walked into her house, she would never allow them to leave empty-handed. She would either feed them, give them money, or she would give them clothes. She supported a number of pastors who were sharing the gospel, and there was always a traveling pastor going through the house. Like, you know, they would visit her, spend some time with her, pray for her, and she would pray for them, and she would give them money. You know, maybe God will use it for something, you know, just maybe for your travel expenses, and she would always, you know, support them financially. So students who graduated from her home went on to become nurses, engineers, teachers, bankers. So Mercy lived a full life. She was immensely thankful to the Lord for allowing her to be a blessing to many poor people in her community. She was such a giving person that her hands were always full. And, you know, you open her closet and and you will see cash under her dresses, you know, in some old purses that she had. She always had cash. And her storehouses were always full and overflowing because she was feeding so many people. And somehow God supernaturally provided her with food. So she was the happiest when she was surrounded by children. And she never complained. She was always healthy. She never had any disease, no heart disease, nothing. And she was completely caught up in a faithful life until her death at the ripe age of 91. And she lived to live and play with her great-grandkids also. So Mercy left behind a faith-filled testimony and a legacy. And I'm proud to call her as my grandma. Thank you. So I want to challenge you. What is the legacy that we are leaving behind for our next generation, for the community that we are in, right? How is our life reflecting is it a faithful life, right? So we have to challenge ourselves. Am I going to be, because I am given much, right? We are given resources. 
We are given time. We are given health. So how are we going to use that for the kingdom of God? So I leave you with that, with that challenge. And let's pray so that our Lord will order our steps for a faithful life. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your faithfulness towards us is so, so much we just cannot fathom it. And we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that you have given us to taste and see what a faithful life we could live. And Lord, as we go about our lives, in our, even despite the challenges, Lord, we know that you are faithful in carrying us through. So thank you, Lord. Help us to live a life that is a blessing not only to ourselves, not only to our families around us, but to so many people that we do not even know. Lord, may your word go forth and may, li- may lives be changed. Uh, help us, Lord, in our study, in our time together at the tables. We thank you for the wonderful food that was brought in. Pray that you bless that for the nourishment of our bodies. And help us, Lord, to live each day, every single day for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.